is the broadcast on Poets at War, Inkling-style Discord chat, last Friday of every month. And now, the broadcast. But yeah, so bane of my existence, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> that got you. <laughs> Love the way you put that. Bane oh, of my existence, but whatever. The Braves have been absolutely trouncing all of major league baseball and people are starting to accuse them of cheating um so that's fun and hilarious um okay they've got uh so the, the big conspiracy right now is that they've recently started using pitch com in the league which basically what that is is the old school way of um relaying signals from the catcher to the pitcher is you know put your numbers down like that right like one fastball yeah. two curveball etc right well in effort yeah. to stop people on second base and other bases and stuff and other places from stealing signs um they created uh -huh. pitchcom which is broadly used now in the league which basically has a little little tiny quiet speaker in the hat of the pitcher and a little tiny uh uh button that goes on the uh knee pad of the catcher and he presses a button and it relays a, a quiet noise to the pitcher's uh, hat that tells tells him what this what the sign is, right? Okay. So basically the uh, the technology was created in Atlanta. And so the big conspiracy theory is that the Braves have it hacked somehow. <laughs> 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 no proof whatsoever but because hilarious. of course be, because of course everybody in atlanta is working for the braves right <laughs> uh even though the braves yeah. don't, aren't even in atlanta now they're marietta which is a suburb but you know that's a whole other thing mm. um the other funny one that i saw that was just completely asinine and hilarious was some person looking at they have um quick crete has is a sponsor of theirs and it's a bright yellow patch okay. that, that they put on their um, on their uniform on their sleeve, right? Well, uh -huh. basically, uh, the guy was uh, saying that it could be distracting or doing something that, that that they don't realize because, oh my goodness, the right-handed hitters all have it on their left sleeve, while the left-handed hitters have it on their right sleeve, and it's always facing the pitcher. The dumb, obvious answer being. That's how advertising works. Uh huh. Because the camera is yeah. pointed from the view of the pitcher. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> so basically, just all the people who are uh, upset that their teams are losing are just sucking on their copium pipe. M mostly the New York teams because they've really sucked this year. The Yankees and the Mets, they've done absolutely horrible. <laughs> the Mets uh, actually. Like in the off season, um, signed two of the greatest pitchers currently in the game, and they've spent a really pretty penny doing it. Um, uh -huh. and uh, they're both now playing for different teams because of how bad the Mets were doing. They wanted traded immediately. So, <laughs> um, and then the Yankees have just okay. been 
having cons- like arguments after arguments after players like uh, having horrible personal issues, you know, bad habits and all kinds of like, to- basically they've been self-destructing from the inside out. Um, yeah. Their, their, their uh, coach has been fined for arguing with umpires like a million times this year. It's ridiculous. I'm surprised he's making any money. He's been tossed out so many times. It's it's just yeah, and most of baseball's media is headquartered in New York. So like any uh-huh. kind of any kind of uh, middle level media, not like the high end media, but the middle level media covering baseball, they're all up in arms about the Braves because how can they possibly be doing so well? <laughs> so how are they doing so well? Uh, I think the absolute biggest best thing is the chemistry between the players and between the players and coaches. Um, the, the, um, overall, when you watch them play, everyone is having fun. Everyone is actually playing the game and yes, winning equates to fun most of the time, but, but when you get rolling, you get rolling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Good evening, Brendan. Evening. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. There's your camera. Yep. It's taking a moment. Hello. Uh, Hello, Kirith. Are you all hearing like a loud noise in the background or is it like okay? It's okay. It's not. When you talk, I hear something that sounds like air conditioning, but it's 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 in and out, you know, Uh, but it's only when you talk, I start hearing it, but I hear you over it. So it's fine. Okay, good. Then Discord is doing what it's supposed to because there is an air conditioner right behind that. So, yeah, no, it's perfectly fine. We always have mixed crazy audio. Are you hearing anything on my end? I've got one right there. Not at all. AirPods are really good on top of Discord. They're so nice. Mm-hmm. Apple ecosystem, man. <laughs> they do a good that job. Is my, that is my only Apple pitch for the night. That is my only <laughs> Apple pitch for the night. That's okay, man. You like what you like. It's all good. I like some Apple things and don't like some other Apple things. All right. So we were just talking about the Braves and how everyone's accusing them of cheating, which is hilarious. <laughs> They're all really out there conspiracy theories. So, yeah, that's fun. Good evening, TK. Hello, TK. So, we've already got four. That's nice. Yeah. She just might be listening, but that's great. Technically five. Yes, five, yes. Four cameras. uh, TK, just so you know, you did unmute on Discord, but... We cannot hear you if you are trying to speak. There she is. There we go. There we go. Now we oh. can hear you. Oh, we can hear you now. I guess she was not trying to speak. More than likely. <laughs> so. Bless you. Mm-hmm. How are things going with y'all, TK? Things are going quite well. Thank you. Good. Good. We've been praying for y'all. Lots of craziness going on with Ian's mental state and your mom and all the other fun stuff. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. One sec, I- I'm gonna cut video for a second. Sure, no problem. Yeah. So I was just filling them in on 
the two hours I spent in 98 degrees uncovered dealing with the sign that we didn't fix at all. Um, and the Braves getting accused of cheating by folks up by you, TK. Lots of New York people be mad that the Braves are winning for some reason. Huh. <laughs> um, and yeah, basically that's all we've talked about so far. And it was mainly just me and Alex. These other jokers showed up just a few seconds ago. So, Hey, hey, hey. Other joker. Singular. <laughs> He's not a joker. Okay. I am. She's a, she's a queen of diamonds, hearts, something. Anyway, something extravagant. Anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but, yeah. Brendan, what's been up with you guys? Well. We well no. What we've been doing is we've been trying to get a mortgage, and that's been falling through mm -hmm. horribly. Curse these companies, and 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 having a desire to not lose money on an investment. How dare they? <laughs> right. <laughs> I understand. I get it. It's just annoying when it's happening to me because you're I actually responsible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, beyond that, um, work has, I, I had the best week of work. And by the best week of work, I mean, I had nothing to do all week, which was meant I could get so much done on my side projects. Guess what I didn't get done? <laughs> <laughs> Anything on your side projects. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, okay, that's not true. I did, I did get some rough drawings done, but I still oh, haven't. That's cool. So I, but I still haven't finished all of them, and so. You got H's for Honor done, right? I have a rough sketch. I actually don't know if I'm going to do H's yeah, for the, Honor the... because it could be Honor. It could also, oh. I could also use it for here for my old hero. I was worried about doing hero because like the word comes up so much and I'm doing a lot about, I have, I feel like I have a lot of people already. I wanted to try to do something like a, get a variety of ideas, but I haven't actually finalized the words for H's for honor. And so I'm kind of like, The okay. rhyme, I just don't have the filler in between the rhyme to make it make sense. <laughs> uh, so that's one that that is something I'm working on still, but I'm 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 doing what I usually do and ignoring it and not exactly hoping that it goes away, but ignoring it and hoping you, that my until you've wrapped your head around it. Yeah, or until I get the lightning strike of innovation that occasionally happens. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. I totally understand that. Oh, boy. Okay, that's what I'll do tonight. I literally just chose what I'm going to share tonight, so. <laughs> I, um, what you doing? Uh, I'm doing the sixth chapter of Worldwide Warrior. I did the uh, the prologue a, a couple ones ago with the, all the genealogy and yeah. stuff and so i'm gonna do um yeah chapter six shadow lash which speaks of his um uh uh enchanted weapon 
which is what makes him a superhero if you want to go by powers. So, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, so. What way, I don't remember who it was, but it takes a big man to admit that his favorite superhero is Sailor Moon. I didn't say my favorite superhero was Sailor Moon. I said the first introduction to superheroes was Sailor Moon. <laughs> it was, I believe, Rachel Adderholt who said her favorite was Sailor Moon, if I remember correctly. In, resp- in reply yes. to me. Oh, say, oh, sweet summer child, I have to teach you what's your Um, Nice. Ian, what's up, man? Hello. I was going to make a snide comment, but I don't think I will now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I know now. Oh, you know now? Okay. Well, I know of it through you. Yeah, it's, it's the first of what's called a magical girl. Uh, I think it's the first one of, if not. It's like the first Americanized one in any kind of way, shape, or form. So it, it's the first one that actually gained traction, right? In America, right. let's say that. What you got there, Alex? <laughs> um. Okay, so in case you didn't see what I posted on Discord, uh, like an hour and a half ago, I got a Lego Titanic, um, because I'm an insane person, and the technique. For this right here, this uh, so the entire technique for how they're getting the slope of the bow is super, super interesting. You've got a bunch of weird connections that I've never seen before. But this entire piece right here bends slightly to connect right there. Because huh. it's, an, it's an assembly. It's not one solid piece, but it bends right there instead of being flush. It's nice to see that you've got that side finished. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not the slowest builder, but I'm definitely not the fastest either. I'm, I'm making a joke about how there's a giant hole in the side of the ship that sank, and so you finished that part of the building. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, your joke made a whistling noise as it went over my head. Didn't? Did they ever do Avatar: The Last Airbender Legos? They if did not, not ever do Avatar: The Last Airbender Legos. They pro, yeah. they might with the new Netflix series coming out. I was gonna say if they ever do and they do a Boy in the Iceberg set, there's your crossover. Judge what they did. I approve. <laughs> oh boy! And for no other I've only seen one season. To say your full name. <laughs> I've only seen one season of uh, TLA. Oh, you need to finish it. It's so good. Yeah, I- I'm waiting for my uh, friends who loaned us the disc to loan us the second series or gotcha. second season. Gotcha. If you were in Indiana, I could just actually no, I can't. My sister had them. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in Tennessee, I know someone. <laughs> I'll be I'll be in Kentucky this October, so Oh yeah, for FLF. Yep. Yeah. He gets which to go in more... only Adrian gets to go from Yonder Child, which is like, come I'm, on, man. <laughs> I'm so mad. Yeah. I'm me so too. mad. Me too. I mean I'm I'm not a huge fan ha- of the, the theme, but whatever, you know. <laughs> My one yeah, chance I was hoping 
You were hoping? I was hoping to get to meet some of y'all in person. Yeah. We'll figure it out. But alas. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll meet in person sometime. Mm-hmm. Just not right now. So, um, Sarah said she'd be on later and we'll try and hold off with, uh, you know, we'll have some count, not hold off before we start sharing some stuff, but like try to keep things rolling to see if she can trickle in. As far as anyone else, I know Daniel is working tonight. He's closing. Um, I don't know if anyone else is going to show up. Abigail Falonga is always a wild card, um, as far as jumping in or not. Um, Ian's obviously either listening on the other side, ready to jump in like he's been doing, or he's going to, uh, just sit this one out. Either way, we're, we're happy to have him if he wants to share anything. Um, so yeah, I think that's everybody. Casey might show up after she gets the kids to bed. Who knows? Um, now that she's part of the discord, she's, she's, uh, she's got a mom group that she's part of called, uh, blessed bumps for, um, moms and stuff it's supposed to be like pregnancy bumps whatever but it's not just a pregnancy group um she's been part of it for a long time and they recently started a discord so that they can type and do all kinds of stuff and she's been um enjoying that and getting used to the ui through that so she's much more confident in joining in with the brood now um when we do stuff so that's good um Anything anyone wants to update on that's not sharing before we get into basic sharing? I, I will probably be no. dropping my first <laughs> blog post tonight. Excellent. Where's your blog? So, uh, I will be dropping an audio on YouTube. YouTube. Nice. Okay. Gotcha. Sweet. So in... Awog? How do you audio divide log. a yeah, audio log. log. Yeah, I just say audio log. Audio log is. Yeah, that's how I say it. <clears throat> I don't know. I like Owlog. I like I like Owlog. Yeah, I, I I agree. I agree with Brendan. I like Owlog. It's a log. Owlog. <laughs> All right, she said one moment. So we will one moment. Um, I was recently thinking about different, uh. I think I mentioned it in the brood, but I really, really want like these little companies that are doing like these singing AI voices that you can do and you can put the, you know, the, 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 uh, it, you basically have to put the, um, the, 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 the acapella vocal in and it changes it to another voice. I really want them to do, come here, Hazel, give me a hug. I really want them to do Tim Curry, like really badly. <laughs> And I can just imagine so many crazy things to have him sing. <laughs> the chief of which is probably Crazy Bus from Arthur. <laughs> crazy Bus! Crazy Bus! Riding on the Crazy Bus! <laughs> anyway. on, I'm going to turn off my video for just a second. Got to run night upstairs. Night-night. Hey, Peter! Night-night. Hey, Hazel! Oh. Hello! All right, guys. Good night. Have a good night, okay? They actually know each other. They have <laughs> seen each other in person. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Close the door, please, Hazel. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Why is she so slow at closing yeah, the door? She just um, did. Okay. I've been been listening to the uh, Clank Sinatra covers. Yes. 
<laughs> on YouTube. Those are those are awesome. Mm-hmm. Did you guys those hear? Really did you guys hear the? Um, I won't play it or something because it's not going to get on the broadcast. But uh, they did um, "Hurt" by Johnny Cash to the tune of "Surfing USA" by the Beach Boys. <laughs> I hurt myself today no. to see if I still feel focus on the pain. No. <laughs> anyway. No. <laughs> waiting. This I'm just not waiting. okay. I'm just waiting for someone to uh to to troll all the AI art people, AI music people, and having R two D two sing something. Mm-hmm. But they don't even like have to do anything. They just find R two D two noises and put right. it over the music. Oh, that's that's nothing. Um, the one that's been really funny is I've I've seen this one channel that all he does is take the original song and choose a different role that that voice actor or actor has done and say that it's that. So like basically, you have Poe from Kung Fu Panda singing Peaches from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Poe. <laughs> <laughs> from, from, <Yeah>. anyway <laughs> and and Kristoff from frozen singing uh you'll be back you'll soon be back. you'll see yeah uh-huh you know stuff like that <laughs> i've been seeing a lot That's of sea incredible. shanties done by um mr krabs lately yes yeah, there's been a bunch of mr krabs <laughs> i don't know if clancy brown even actually sings Another one that they did recently is they actually changed the arrangement and did a whole like um, crooner jazz thing. Uh, it was actually really well done. It was uh, Frank Sinatra, Gangster's Paradise. Did you guys hear that one? Yeah. That's a riot. No, but it works because it, it, he's it a gangster. Actually, it's actually really pretty good. He actually sings the thing. He's not rapping. It's it's a full jazz like, th- and it works because he was like in that gangster rap pack thing. It sounds like they're singing about that and not you know the the urban you know black inner city kind of gangs. You know, it's it's a completely different thing. Like it's it's really yeah. incredible. Kira, it, it, it's really solid. It, it's it's probably the third best cover of that song. That reminds me of, uh, I found a channel called um, Lydia the Bard, and she takes Disney uh, princess songs and turns them into villain songs, (laughs) and so she has to change the arrangement slightly on a lot of them. But there was one, and it was taking the Taylor Swift song, Love Story, and turning it into, like, a sad song, and it was really... I I think it's pretty, but he thought it was really (laughs) good. But I really liked it because I was like, oh, this is like the real Romeo and Juliet story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everybody dies. <laughs> Sincerely, uh, everyone who actually read this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, it, yeah. yeah. The villain, the villain version, like, the thing is, like, I don't know. There are some songs where you try to change them into the opposite of what they are from minor to major, and it just doesn't work. Yep. Because you don't make, you don't adjust the arrangement to make it fit. Right. If you ever heard to, if you've ever listened to the Imperial March in major, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. when she does the villain versions, she actually like makes the arrangement fit, and so. Mm-hmm. 
it actually is good. And it's like, that's a lot of musical skill you've got there. Oh, like, yeah. you can't just do that mm -hmm. normally. Yep. You know, some people say, oh, just raise the thirds by a half step. Not, no, <laughs> that doesn't stop. <laughs> oh, boy. I've been waiting. Stop pretending like you know what you're talking about. So the guy who voices Plankton is known as Mr. Lawrence. That's his stage name. Um, he, I've been trying to see if I can find anywhere, but I don't think he has yet of him reacting to all the Plankton songs that have come out because Plankton's voice in the AI singing is absolutely incredible. He has this level of distortion in his screams that is just ridiculously good for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and so like anytime he's, they have Plankton singing rock songs, I'm just like, man, I want to see the voice actor react to this and just be like... Yeah, no way I could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway. All right. It'd be especially funny with all the uh, strikes currently going on. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, do we want to well, get... Well, if, if I can't make money because AI is taking my job, I might as well react to AI taking my job to see if I can make some last money. <laughs> oh, that would be ridiculous. What's up, sweetie? Okay, night night. I thought you were going to bed earlier. That's fine. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Um all right. Aldrich. So <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyway. Um are we ready to share some stuffs? Yes, yes. Who wishes to go first? I shall if no one else. I can go. It'll take me a second to get it set up, but I'm done with this bag. So. What are you sharing? <clears throat> well, I can share a couple of different things. Okay. Uh, I after catching my after catching my Cinderella bug, uh, I decided that I was going to try my hand at writing a version of Cinderella set in my fantasy world. Nice. Uh, well, of the choice. Not set in my fantasy world. It, it it's it's my it's my fantasy world's version of Cinderella. It, it's their fairy tale. Gotcha. And so I've got the prologue done on that. And then I have been working for a long time on a version, well, I say working for a long time, off and on for a long time, on a version of the Book of Ruth set in my fantasy world. That's actually like history in the fantasy world and stuff like that. Okay. Well, Everything that I do is set in Coralta. What'd you say, TK? So, yeah. I said, oh, like they did with the VeggieTales version of Ruth. Yeah. It was like the backstory to George and King George and the Ducky. There we go. I had to think oh, a minute. <laughs> Reggie yeah. tells it so first. I, I can go if nobody else wants to. Leave it in the and No, they did a version of Ruth too. But yeah, King George right. and the Ducky is David and Bathsheba. Yes, they did. They did a Ruth, but it was later on. I haven't seen it, but I know it exists. It's actually really good. It's really cute. I think I heard of it existing. It's like. The Book of Ruth, if you did it as a Danny K musical, like The Court Jester. <laughs> I love it. Okay, then. <laughs> I am confused. <laughs> I am very confused. <laughs> you life... also look a little bit horrified. My life I is mean, do it uh... like a Danny K musical. Anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not incorrect. <laughs> uh, all right. Continue, Alex. So, yeah, I, I can if nobody else wants to. Go ahead. Please, go ahead. Is what I was saying. Okay, then. <clears throat> oh, I just saw Brendan's message in the brood. Is it with just the broodcast? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Let's see here. Yeah, there we are. I don't have under crawl, but I have under fiction. Uh, which do you want? The uh, uh, Ruth story or the Cinderella story? It is up to y'all. What do you like better? I, I'm not. I'm not sure which I like better. Story of Ruth is my favorite story in the Bible, so I, I like that one. But I'm really enjoying writing kind of a fairy tale style. Cinderutha. Story, so. it, it, it's really up to you. Cinderutha. Heads. <laughs> oh, it both sound so good. Heads. I love Cinderella. <laughs> okay, Cinderella then. Okay. Since no one here will make a decision, I will speak okay. authoritatively. I flipped the coin. It's fine. <laughs> Okay. Prologue. In the years of the reign of Lord Kedar, before the Grain Wars, there was a certain man in the court who was in love. He was called Nathaniel, and he was the son of a noble from the plains of Cap, and was well thought of in the court, despite his relatively low birth. He was betrothed uh, to Lady Ladelia, the daughter of the Duke of Ironwall, but he did not love her. His love was the daughter of the royal baker in the town of Stone Falls, a young woman named Ellie. They had known each other from their youth and were very deeply in love. On the eve of his 17th birthday, Nathaniel and Ellie were wed. The ceremony was small, held in the chapel of Corite. The only people in attendance were her family. They were married by the local priest of the Order of the Lover. He introduced Ellie to the court the next day and was promptly removed from the court and exiled to the far reaches of the Plains of Cat, a place called Kethia. The estate they were sent to was the least productive grain milling operation in the land. When they arrived, they found the surrounding grounds in a state of near absolute disrepair, but the mansion they found immaculate and well furnished. When they inspected the farms attached to the land, they found them in the same state as the estate. Sensing the hatred that the peasants of the area had for the nobles, Nathaniel and his bride knew that they would need to act differently than the previous lords had. They began by selling all but the bare necessities of the manor, and using the profits to repair the grounds, the mill, and the farm buildings. They began to work with the others in the fields, and the servant of the manor were reassigned to begin gardening the grounds. At first, the workers were very suspicious of the activity of their new lord and lady, but after two harvests, they came to the realization that Lord Nathaniel and Lady Ellie were not deceiving them. After several years, the affection between the couple and their subjects had grown remarkably. Nathaniel and Ellie loved their people, and the people loved them. So, when, uh, so much was the love between them that when, five years after their arrival, Lady Ellie became pregnant, the people demanded that the manor be restaffed and restocked, and that she stay there until the child's birth. The lady insisted that she could continue to work, but, uh, work, the work she was doing, but the people would have none of it. When the time for the birth came, all the midwives in the county came to assist with the process. She gave birth to a baby girl. She was given the name Ella after her mother. But unfortunately, the happiness was not to last. After a few days, the Lady Ellie grew sick and passed on. 
The people mourned the death of their beloved lady, and she was given the funeral of a queen. The stonemasons of the area erected a carn to her honor. The following years were very fruitful for the area. The rains came, the crops grew, and the waters of the blue turned the mill. When Ella was three, her father decided that his daughter was in need of a mother. He ventured back to the court of Lord Kadar and left his lands in the hands of a faithful steward. At Lake Cold, he reunited with his family. They were not overjoyed by his return. They had hoped to be done with him when he was exiled. He informed the court of his desire to marry. The rest of the court was quite impressed with his work in Kethia. In his month at the court, he became engaged to the Lady Ladelia of Ironwall, the woman to whom he was betrothed before his unsanctioned marriage. In the eight years since he had left, she had married and had two daughters. Her husband had died a year previous and had left her without much of the wealth she had brought into the marriage. At the end of the month, they were married in a ceremony which was modest for one of the House of Ironwall, and the four of them left for Kethia. They arrived in the middle of the planting season, and, after brief introductions, Nathaniel immediately began helping in the work of planting. His new wife, however, began to fix the manor to her liking, removing the simple furnishings that Nathaniel and Ellie had collected over their five years in the home, and replacing it with a more elaborate style of the court to which she was accustomed. They ate, they ate scarcely that year. Over the years, the estate became one of the most productive areas of the land. Ladelia never took the to the rustic life, and did her best to stay in the manor as much as she could. Her children took after her as well. Ella, however, took after her father. She was a favorite of the people of the land and the servants in the house. It wasn't that Ladelia was awful to the staff. It was more that she treated them like staff instead of treating them like close friends, as Lady Ellie had. When Ella was twelve, news came from one of the nearby provinces that an uprising was brewing. Nathaniel decided that he would go to visit the lord of the province, as he was his cousin. A week after he left, news came that the perturbed peasants had destroyed the lord's estate. After a tense week of waiting, a company of soldiers arrived bearing his remains. He had been killed defending his cousin's children. Everyone in the area mourned, and the mansion and the masons once again erected a carn, more elaborate and regal than his wife's. After the mourning period, the people sent an envoy to Lady Ladelia to ask her how she wanted to deal with the land and crops. She was still in the throes of grief and hadn't the will to make any decisions at all. By the grace of the Creator, she told them to continue exactly the way that they had been and never to bother her again with such trifling matters. Nathaniel had taught the people well in his 17 years there, and they continued to improve the land. The servants in the house made themselves scarce in the months after, doing their best to keep the ladies of the house in comfort. The only one of them that seemed to take notice of the servants was Ella. Her stepsisters followed the lead of their mother and closed themselves off. After a short while, she stopped trying to spend time with them and began helping the servants around the house. Lady Ladelia noticed her stepdaughter's behavior, but couldn't bring herself to care about it. The meals continued to appear on the table three times a day. The tea was hot and in the sitting room every day at three, and when she ordered a tutor for her daughters, they came the next week. It was in this steady order that the, country, that the county continued for years. It continued until Ella was 17. Good stuff. I'm liking it. Nope. Hold on. You got a solid start there, my man. Good stuff, man. Thank you. I'm enjoying it. You've got a... Thank you. Just in the way that you narrate, it reminds me of Book of Virtues and Wise Words by Peter Lightheart. I don't know if you've read that book or read parts of it. Uh, I have not read it. It's on my reading list. I know it's on canon, so I can, I'll can i listen to it. Yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed it. It's good stuff. 
Three okay. things. Thank you. <clears throat> Real quick, three things. One, I'm pretty sure it's Karen, not Karn, but I that might be a regional dialect. Karen. Yeah, I say slash, it might be a, it might be a dialect slash where you grew up thing. Mm-hmm. Tomato, tomato. Don't really care. It's not a big deal, but okay. I don't know. Um, two. Um, you do have a very good reading voice. You have a very good. Part of it is that it's your own your own writing, so you've already gone through it once when you wrote it out. But you have a very firm grasp of the sentences. And like I went back and listened to some of the stuff that I've shared. I don't have a grasp of my sentences sometimes. And it, you can tell because I say a sentence and then I realize, oh, wait, that's not where that sentence was going. And then I have to re-say the sentence. You don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. And three, your, your language, this kind of is tied into the previous point, but your language choice in your writing is very good in terms of creating a feel. Um, Not necessarily just, oh, you take time to describe or, oh, you, whatever. No, 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 no. Like your first couple of sentences were like, it was this year of this guy of this house of the, it was, it was almost biblical for lack of a better word. Just the way that you framed it very succinctly, concisely, and the word choice you picked was sort of like, it was, it almost felt like you were reading uh, like a historical sort of fantasy thing. There's a certain like historical element to it, and that I think really helps you with your fairy taleistic ideas and things. So. I don't know if any of those sentences I said made sense, but <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but, they made sense. That's exactly what I'm going for. All of that. Yeah. Thank you. You, 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 oh, well, you, congratulations. You nailed it. Now keep doing it. That's the hard part. <laughs> At least for me. I was going to mention, also, I, go ahead. I apologize. I apologize. I am eating chips. I had a very early dinner because I had to do a recording like really late in the day. And so, it's all good. It's all so good. I apologize. If I'm just munching chips in the background. So, I was eating a taco last broadcast. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, it cuts it out pretty well on Discord. I was going to mention um, another uh, story that it reminded me of, the narration anyway. Um, oh, it's TK, help me out on this because you might know. It's an Oscar Wilde story about uh, uh, a giant and some children. Ah, yes, the selfish giant. Selfish giant. It reminded me of the selfish giant in the narration style. Um, so you got some Oscar Wilde going on in there, too, which can be a good thing as far as you stick to the writing part of his life. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Appreciate the whole, TK, you know things. <laughs> she does, though. She knows her fairy tales, man. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So yeah, very nice, man. Um, Thank you. I will wait till TK gets back around to start mine, but I'm, I'm, I'm really liking your writing. You're, you're, you're getting your reps in in some really cool ways. You've got some really cool ideas that you're playing with, and I'm just waiting for the time where you're just like, 
oh my goodness, I see the novel. I'm going to do, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And you're just like, oh my goodness. You just get bit by the writer it, bug. It's probably not going to be a novel. It's probably going to be a collection of short stories. Even if that's the case. In, I, in, yeah. in Matt Peake's voice. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, we can move on to mine if no one else wants to go next. Anyone want to go next? Go ahead. You sure, Kareth? Oh, uh, abs- yeah. Oh, sorry, you were talking to me. Kareth. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe not yet. <laughs> not yet? Okay. All right. All right. I'll go ahead with mine. So a couple broadcasts ago, you guys will remember, um, I read from Worldwide Warrior. You remember the genealogies and stuff, the kind of story of Brayden's family and how he came about from his grandfather and that sort of a thing. Um, so immediately following that, uh, the story jumps into a, an MMA fight. It's Braden's first televised MMA fight, which he wins, uh, fairly handily. Um, he has a a little, he, he uses a counter to win that isn't common to MMA. Let's put it that way. And that's how he wins. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, a submission counter to a submission. Um, and so, uh, he wins the fight. He's leaving the arena. His grandmother was there live to see him, so she catches up with him. He, One of the guys from his corner um, is a friend of his from their local uh, uh, dojo, gym, whatever you want to call it. And um, both of them teach at this gym. What's up, man? <laughs> coming, to, coming to sit? What? Coming to sit and be with us? Or no? A little bit anyway. A little bit anyway? Cool. So. Just consoling myself with music about dragons and wizards. <laughs> love it. So. I mean, doesn't everyone do that? Everyone here anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, after, after she catches up with him and he's hanging out with this guy from his corner, they're friends from the gym. His name is Jonathan. Um, uh, he's, he's an Asian kid, you know, they're in Los Angeles. Anyway, um, they get to the parking lot and they're approached by a single, uh, reporter. He asks some questions, gets some answers for, for sports and just records them on a micro cassette, uh, recorder. And he talks to them for a few minutes and, uh, then, um, Rayan comes out and, he knows Rayan and he actually was coming not just to get Braden's interview, but to see her. Okay. Rayan remind you is his 55 year old grandmother, Braden's 55 year old grandmother. She came to see him in the fight, blah, blah, blah. This guy, this reporter was a student of hers when she was a teacher and he starts to talk to her, tells her there's some stuff going on. Uh, this is kind of the background of the further end of the story. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but the but Braden and Jonathan go in the car. They talk for a little while. Jonathan is basically, even before I met him, Daniel Reed as an Asian kid in Los Angeles. He's like super uh, unsure about himself. You know, have have has confidence issues, but he's actually really awesome. Um, and so Braden's encouraging him. Anyway, they go home. Jonathan spends the night. They stay up late, watch rewatching the fight, talking about stuff, talking about the dojo. And Rayan goes to the market the next morning early before they wake up. 
to pick up stuff for a breakfast, a nice breakfast for, I mean, for Braden for, for winning his fight, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So basically she has an altercation when she's at the market with somebody who um, she has to use a special weapon. Um, we see it as a pen that she somehow transforms. We don't have the full details into a stun gun and immediately shocks the guy. It's not normal that it's a pen. That's also a stun gun. There's something weird going on. So she goes, I'm getting a necklace must vibes. What? I'm getting a necklace must vibes riptide from a uh, Percy Jackson. Oh, okay. And she goes, okay, I guess it's time to tell him about this. And she comes back. Brayden wakes up first between the two guys and he comes down bedhead. Oh my goodness. Delicious smells. I'm just hungry. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't eat a whole lot after the fight and I need to eat, you know? Um, and so he sits down and he's like super hungry. So I play that as a comedic beat because she wants to tell him about this important thing. (laughs) And so that's where we pick up. The following morning, breakfast smells wafted all through the silversmith house. Braden's bruised and broken body stirred, and he twitched his nose like a mouse. Ham and egg, potatoes and cheese, yes, he was ready for this. He pulled his long hair out of his face. He stood up and nearly missed. His legs wobbled under him as he went downstairs, his body craving carbs and protein. He sat down at the table and thought to himself, I'm so hungry I might just scream. Luckily for Braden, he didn't have to. Rayan brought a dish right in. It had wonderful thick pieces of bacon in it and cheese and eggs within. Breakfast casserole, Braden beamed with contentment. I am so ready for food. Wait, not yet, Rayan set the dish down. Don't be so hasty and rude. Braden frowned for just a moment, but then Rayan produced a black blade. He didn't see where she got it from, but his stomach rumblings were grave. Is that a tomahawk? He asked with a smile. You know it's not my birthday yet. I know, Brayden. I'm giving it to you now because if I don't, it'll get lost in a minute. Every year it's the same story. You go out with all your friends. Well, thanks for the tomahawk, Grandma. Then he asked for breakfast again. Would you just wait a few seconds? This isn't an ordinary hatchet. It's been passed down through our family, and it has a story attached to it. Braden relented and sat back to listen, but his mind within him said, By the time she finishes this family story, Jonathan will be awake and I'll be dead. A long time ago in Georgia, before it was called a state, our Cherokee ancestor ruled standing Peachtree, and he was a chief that was great. Degataga was his name. He led his people well, and he especially kept his countrymen safe from black magic powers and spells. Once there was a sinful witch, Harbinjala by name, who happened across Degataga's braves, who arrested her for her shame. They brought her before the chief, and she begged for her life. And even though she bribed the chief, her heart still clung to spite. Chief Degataga, she quaintly cooed, Please forgive me of my magics rude. I am but a poor wretched soul, but I have a gift that is worthy of your role. If you will accept this, promise will I to leave this forest forever and never again on you spy. 
The chief thought through for a minute or two all the witch had to say. It's true, her power had waned a lot, and mercy was his heart's way. He agreed to the gift, and she thanked him well with a new tomahawk and a magic spell. But nearly a week later, Harbingela was found again, and nothing could stop Degataga's braves or the many men who came from all over the world to end the witch queen Harbingela and all their fury spend. Harbingela was sealed away, but the tomahawk remains. It has been passed from firstborn to firstborn, and here it passes again. It was passed from my mother, Sulali, to your uncle, Nahari. He died in Vietnam, and so it passed to me. I passed it to your father, but Django's lost or gone. Now it passes to you, Brayden, my eldest and only grandson. Rayan saw the quizzical look forming in Brayden's eyes. She took the blade from off the table and smiled in a way that was wry. She grabbed a fork from off the table and crossed it with the tomahawk's shaft with the handle of the fork, uh, with the handle of the fork, and she spoke two words of craft. Fork, mutatio, was all she need say, and the tomahawk turned into a fork right away. It was black like before, with a little blue stripe, not just like not excuse me, not just like the silver not just like the silver fork, but black as darkest night. Rayan pulled the forks apart and said one word again. Mutatio, she said in a clear voice, and the fork form met its end. The black tomahawk with pale blue stripe, Braden saw in another light. Rayan held it out, and Braden took it in hand. This is unbelievable. Treasure it. Yes, ma'am. I never dream of pawning this for cash. The name of the tomahawk is Shadowlash. And whenever you want to have a fork again, hold it in your hand and speak these words, Brayden. Fork, then mutatio. It needn't be crossed. The tomahawk stores that information for whenever you're lost. You can copy any inanimate object that you can hold in your hands and call it back at any time. Thank you so much, ma'am. So I cross it with whatever I want to copy and name it and it uh, and name it to and name it and tell it to change. That's what mutatio means, right? You've got it. Wow, this is strange. He put the tomahawk on the table and the two of them embraced. Then Rayan began to serve Brayden with a smile and with grace. Meanwhile, a sleepy-headed Jonathan zombie walked down the stairs his head a tangle of interwoven locks. Dude, nice hair. There you go. Love it. Yay, new person. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Abigail. I said hello. hello. Wait, somebody else is talking to me. Hi. <laughs> hi. I'm, I'm waving vigorously. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we heard it. We heard it. Well, yes. good. Well, yes, we heard the vigorous wave. Um, Joshua. Yes. The, I hate to say this, but when you said unfortunate soul, I thought, you poor unfortunate soul. Where did I say <laughs> unfortunate soul? Is that in there? <laughs> or something. There was something you... Um, I said po I a poor wretched soul. I am a but poor a wretched poor wretched soul. soul. Yeah, and I was doing it in a witch voice. So yeah, but, but, yeah I, I see you. I see you. It's all good. 
Do what? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. I forgot to mute it. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, thoughts, anyone? No, that's just reflecting off your head. <laughs> that's like Moses. He knew not that his head shone. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Here's uh, what I mean by um. Oh, what was it? There were. <clears throat> or a couple of things. Uh, the uh, by the time she finishes this family story, Jonathan will be awake, and I'll be dead. <laughs> yep. <a> great line. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I I have felt that. I, I have felt that before. Yeah. <laughs> Not often, but occasionally. And yeah, that's great. I would figure after an MMA fight the next morning, your breakfast, you're going to want to eat. So, yeah, I wanted to uh -huh. like I wanted to ground the world in the comedy during this scene. Like, what would it really be like? Like this this sure this uh -huh. is a special moment. Like this thing being passed down generation to generation whatever else. But like also this is reality. <laughs> you know, this isn't like <laughs> So what would this really be like? So, yeah. Anyway, well, I, I think it worked. Thank you. Anything else? Okay. I mean, uh, aside from you tripping up your words a little bit, you know, which happens. Like yeah. it happens, <laughs> happened to me more often than it's happened to you. So, like, I'm, I'm not about to like condemn you on that, but like, again, this is why I think your stuff needs to be listened to, not read. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I agree. I just, it just doesn't work in the same way if it's read. I, I've tried. I've actively tried. And <laughs> it just doesn't read the same. Right. What were you saying, Kirith? Like how it flows poetically. Like when um, Rayan is telling mm -hmm. the story and just. Yeah, I even fell out of her voice during her narration, kind of in the middle, and no one noticed. I don't think. <laughs> so that was that was. I did. <laughs> I did, but I thought that was a deliberate choice. Uh, I decided it was a deliberate choice after I did it. Does that count? <laughs> Roll with it. It was deliberate. <laughs> oh man. Any which way. <clears throat> a bunch of dwarf bards with us. Yes. Um, all right. So, Abigail, welcome. Uh, so far, Alex has read, and I have read. We had our own things we were reading. Um, Alex did a Cinderella um, retelling type thing that he was working on. He got he got the Cinderella bug because of our last podcast. <laughs> we we brought up the thing that you and I talked about on our author interview was uh, the the Cinderella Ruth connection. So he's been getting excited oh, yeah. about that um i love that prediction. yeah yeah and then um i just read you you heard some of it i think uh before you came in I maybe okay yeah just basically a, a chapter from one of my superhero uh series about uh oh. an, an enchanted tomahawk so fun Ooh. anyway um did did, uh, did everyone grasp that I'll, I'll ask this um about mine because i was wondering no one mentioned like the the, the i am not great i'm i've gotten better over the years but i am not great at um 
hard magic in any way, shape, or form. And this really needs to be hard magic. Um, this because this is an enchanted object. This is not um, something that he is actively having any real interface with the magic other than he's guiding it right he he didn't create it he's not that he's not uh, uh communing with the magic he's just using the physical object and the and the ramifications of the magic so like did that make sense everything that i was yeah yeah oh yeah yes. it was I, I would say that um in this instance the 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 wealth of hard magic is actually to your advantage because we don't see him having to attune to the magic item in question right he doesn't have to sit and meditate with it and like figure it out it's here's a thing this is how you use it have fun right exactly <laughs> yes okay <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the, the the implications of it being passed down generation to generation it has a ton of stuff stored in it that you don't even know about <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. exciting in and of itself and uh the, uh -huh. other, the other thing is you can copy in any inanimate object that you can hold in your hand so that's actually you know uh pretty cool i have not gone to the level of okay if you pick a flower and try to copy it is the flower mm -hmm. still living dead you know because it's still green so i haven't gotten to that point yet but you know I lost my car keys. Oh, good thing I attuned the tomahawk to them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that obviously that's going to come into play. That kind of thing is going to come into play later in the story, but I won't. I won't spoil all that. Um, did you say something? <laughs> that, that, to Ian? That's the beginning of arc number five. What'd you say, Ian? What about a stick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do a stick. Why not? It's dead. <laughs> It's inanimate. I'm a stick. <laughs> stick mutation. Anyway. Um all right. So uh I guess who wants to go next? Gareth, you ready yet or no? You're like itching to do it, but also afraid. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's her in a nutshell. We're excited for you. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't given her the pep talk yet that it, that nervousness and excitement are the exact same physiological reaction. No, you oh, I have. And others. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to. No, 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 that doesn't really help me. <laughs> I'm going to get the charger. Oh. Oh, I need to. Oh, oh, All right. Okay. Uh, that's being set up. Do you glad, want to see? Glad it? to have you, Ian. See you, Ian. Bye. Uh, want to see something else cool? On the uh, Titanic build? Yes. He has a Titanic so, Lego uh, by the Lego set, by the way, Abigail. Yeah. I, I just got the Titanic Lego set building it. Um, this is how the stairs on the deck are. So this little wedge piece vent that's been around for literally forever, as far as Lego is concerned, mm -hmm. just goes on right there, and that's your stairs. Oh, wow. It's a really cool little use of that piece. Yes, indeed, love it. Sorry, I'm nerding out. Oh, it's Th cool. This is this is my this is one of my nerd sections. I like Legos too, man. Believe me, it's not it's not weird. I love Legos. Oh, that reminds me. There was this really funny picture I saw of a restaurant that said Thai, like as in Thailand, Titanic food that goes down easy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sheesh. Oh wow. That's amazing. They should absolutely they should absolutely license that for the Titanic 2 project that's going on. Have that be one of the restaurants in the new Titanic? Have you guys ever seen any of the um animated oh, well, Titanics on. that came out around the nineties when they had things going on? Okay, yeah, TK has, uh huh. Anyway. No. They're what amazing. What what one of the other things like if you as you like looked over the storefront, um, it was like, yeah, our salads all have iceberg lettuce mm-hmm. and yeah. all other jokes like that. Oh yes. Right. Hey, uh, Alex, you should make sure that the uh, um, the lifeboats or, or the rafts on your Titanic build can only fit one Lego piece or one Lego figure. <laughs> I was gonna say this is what is his name? Uh, Theoden. Who's the actor again? Uh, Bernard Hill. Yeah, I was gonna say they they need to have like Bernard Hill as their spokesperson. Just saying, like, it'd be amazing. <laughs> I saw part of well, part uh, of the Titanic movie in a gym once, and I'm like, wait a minute. I had to do a double take because I saw Theoden up there, and I'm like, what movie am I watching? Right. <laughs> Is this the new Lord of the Rings remake? This is the thing I know Bernard Hill for. Nothing can go wrong. Everything went wrong. (laughs) Both Theoden and Titanic. Basically. (laughs) Also, I'd like to point out that Titanic is still a better adaptation of Lord of the Rings than Rings of Power. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Oh, man. Oh man, don't get me started. And don't get me started, get me started on the either. Don't get me started on the Witcher either. I'm so, oh man. Oh, I'm so mad. Oh, I'm <laughs> I've been so hearing mad. about what you guys have been going through with that. I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry for y'all. I haven't even like properly read the books or played the games, but watching the entire thing unfold purely from a filmmaking and storytelling perspective, like not even like as a fan, I am seething. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I should let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, there was a, a like story, I guess that I was trying to write about like eight years ago and uh, it was, yeah, I don't want to say too much yet because I want to see how much is like, clear and how much isn't clear and it's just the first chapter um hopefully it's not too long but the chapters have names and this chapter is called from a cave to a palace (laughs) so under the reign of the new ruler his majesty king zavan one daughter of the king born out of wedlock was suddenly summoned to live at his palace nor's life and her mother's life would forever be changed and this was something trees had hoped to avoid especially after her twins were taken away Shortly after noon, four winged horses flew by with fur of blue and cloudy white patterns. Three of the horses carried the king's trusted soldiers, and the fourth carried Trice and her daughter. We're nearly there, the woman states. Luckily, her daughter could not see her face, and she was able to keep the dread out of her voice. Unfortunately, Trice was the queen's elder sister. The two sisters shared the features of brown skin and dark eyes, but Trice had wavy black hair with silver streaks. Her hair was currently held up with silver jewels displayed in such a way as if she had a silver blanket 
of snow on her head. A soft layer of silver decorated her eyelids, and a layer of silver coated her lips. Her ears were slightly pointed. Much of her black and silver dress was covered by her long silver coat. Nor, who had recently reached the age of 12, sat in front of her mother on the winged horse. She was tall and slender, more like her aunt than her mother, but she had her but she had black hair with natural gold and purple streaks and her father's curls. Around her neck hung the necklace with gold jewels, which her father gave to her as a gift when he sent for her. It's all so exciting, Mama. Living life in a palace? Nora almost forgot they were in the air, and Trice had to calm her down in order to keep the horse flying smoothly. And I'm finally going to meet Father. I can't wait to see what he's like. For nearly all her life, until that point, her house was in a cave, and now she was moving to a fancy palace. She felt some of the awkwardness of the fact that the queen, her wife's, her father's wife, was also her aunt, but she didn't live under a rock. Well, all right. <laughs> My point is, even in her town, Noor heard good stories of her father. Yes, it will be an exciting transition for you. Now, let's go over the important rules. Noor nodded her head obediently and answered, Yes, Mama. She took a deep breath. Whenever father or the queen summons me, I must bow when I see them. I may not speak to them unless I am addressed. I must wait five steps away before... No, Nora, you've confused that one. Right, I meant I must wait 15 steps away before he requests for me to come closer. And before coming closer, I must bow again. Such strange rules. Nora had never, had never known anyone even close to that kind of position back at her old home. What if she forgot? I must bow down before Prince Claude, Prince Ailanda, Prince Visa, and Prince Gudan. I may not raise my voice at them. I must take my lessons without complaining. I may not leave the palace grounds without supervision. I may not go above the second floor, or to the towers, or the dungeon, or the staff quarters, the guest quarters, or any bedroom besides ours. She felt strange to have sisters she never met before. Nora was born before the king married Rain, who by now proved her worth her power and worth to everyone. Since the whole since the whole situation between Trice and Zuban, her sister had not contact, contacted her once. Needless to say, his, this mother felt awkward, uncomfortable, and extremely anxious for her sheltered daughter. Very good, Noor. She, she never forgot to praise her. I know how exciting this is for you, but I also know how challenging this can be. I've given you these rules to protect you. I know, Mama. Nora assured her, because she really had been told 76 times. The most important rule I don't want you to forget is that no matter what anyone tells you or does to you, never forget how much I love you. I promise not to break that rule, Nora replied solemnly before giggling, because I love you all the way to the end of the world and back. Ah, Teresa's heart melted at all the warm memories that phrase brought up. My, that is such a long way, but do you know something else? She grinned. My love for you is so far and wide, it cannot be measured. That's far, Nora breathed, despite not being able to see Nora's expression completely. Trice laughed her contagious laugh that Nora soon joined in. The horses flew around the mountain, and what they saw next took their breath away. Well, Nora's anyway, for she had never seen the palace. Mama, she gasped, it must have a thousand rooms. There, as if carved into the mountainside, stood the most, ex the most significant sight Nora had ever seen. Granted, she hadn't seen much beyond her town. Because of the sunlight, the palace looked like a golden city with stairs and bridges that went up and around and in the mountain. There was one tower that struck, that stuck out just above the tip of the mountain. 
Beneath the palace lay a deep valley, so there was a bridge that extended across the chasm, connecting the place to the, to the city built on the other mountain. I wish Anoak and Denok could be here to see this, Nora sighed, thinking about her half-brothers. Their father, King Daman, summoned them without Chis and Mir. Uh, I know. Chis fought hard, fought for control of her emotions, but a tear slipped out. On the eastern side of the palace was a platform where the horses could land. A few servants were waiting to escort the two inside. Twenty servants eventually led Nora and Trice to the throne room. Nora remembered to bring the vase of magic flowers. The vase of magic flowers. When the doors opened wide for them and the music played, Nora froze. The exquisite throne room and the amount of people there overwhelmed her. More like a ballroom-sized balcony rather than a room, flowers and plants were twisted together for a roof. A special covering existed in case of rain, and a waterfall behind the kingstone created a steady hum. The children of his majesty, King Zavan, stood on either side of his and the queen's throne. Um, governors, officials, warriors, and castle staff stood along the aisle while the musicians played in the right-hand right corner of the throne room. The encouraging whisper of her mother helped Nora proceed. Next to, the queen, next to Queen Rain's throne, the little boy with no arms. Two girls also stood near the queen's throne, and Nora guessed that they were her daughters, Ilanda and Biza. Beside the king's throne, and beside the king's throne stood the queen's son, Cog, and Dinah's daughter, Sephra, and Tami's son and daughter, Raymond, Raymond and Adita. Remembering the rule about bowing, Nora gracefully lowered to her knees and placed the vase of flowers in front of her on the floor. Trice also bowed, but due to her age, not quite as low, according to custom. Welcome, child. What have you brought? The queen asked gently in a voice that surprised both Trice and Noor. Noor glanced up at her and internally admired the gold band with many pal feathers, white and red, speckled with gold. Her hair was mostly hidden behind those feathers, except for two thin strands of black and silver hair framing the sides of her face. The queen was a few years younger than Noor's mother, but held so much more power. I brought you a gift of tuber flowers from my garden. These took some. E these took the most effort to grow, Nora answered almost shyly. People admired the soft, sweet quality of her voice as she spoke and were amazed at the glowing blue, blue flowers. The queen certainly looked impressed. His majesty slowly rose from his throne to come towards his daughter. Adita and Sephra may have been more beautiful according to gossip, but nevertheless, Nora's beauty made the king proud. Nora's eyes met with met her father's, but she glanced up to see more clearly the elaborate circular pattern on the feathers of the gold crown on his head. The rainbow color of the feathers made Nora, or amazed Nora, and she had to tear her gaze from the crown back to his eyes. He gently held her face in his hands and kissed her on the forehead. She never, she'd been waiting for his for this moment ever since she learned of her father. He signaled for the musicians to begin playing, which stirred even more emotion within Nora. If only she could throw her arms around him, she could show how overjoyed she was, but it went against the rules, so she restrained herself. His smile widened into a welcoming smile. Welcome home, my daughter, were his first words to her. Happiness exploded within her, and she couldn't restrain herself this time. Everyone was surprised, but her father returned the hug and then addressed the crowd. Let the celebration begin. Has that been too long? Or... Okay. <laughs> um, king Zavan possessed the power of, of Mountain Macht, which the defeated king Cone once possessed. 
Yvonne's children always inherited powerful, wondrous gifts, and when Nora was first born, he mistakenly thought the gift somehow missed her. The moment he discovered his error, he sent for Nora and Trace. And so the celebration began, and all of his majesty's children meandered to, over to Nora to meet her. She learned that the boy without arms, Wudan, was the queen's youngest son, and even the youngest of all the king's children. The girl with black and gold curls and a few streaks of pink came to greet Nora. Her skin was pale, and her smile was radiant. Welcome to our happy family, a bit of sarcasm seeped through, but Nora didn't catch it and smiled. I'm Sephra. Enjoy this party while it lasts. After tomorrow, he'll be too busy to ever see you again. Her smile was fake, which Nora did pick up on then. What are you plotting now, Sephra? An older girl asked, shaking her head knowingly. Leave her alone. This is her party. Have you forgotten that I'm grown up? Stop chastising me like a child. Sephra was 16, which was considered grown up. Besides, I'm just preparing her for what is to come. It's the welcoming thing to do. Without waiting for a reply, she turned and walked away. Adida continued to shake her head. I'm sorry, who are you? Nora asked. Are you the eldest? Yes, I'm Adida, daughter of Tami, the first wife of father. It's a shame we haven't met sooner. As far as Nora was concerned, Adida was already her favorite sister. Stories were told kingdom-wide of the courageous and beautiful eldest daughter of King Zavon. Nora simply hadn't put a face to the name before now. Nora wanted to gush over her sister. A boy stepped in, but a boy stepped in front of Adida and crossed his arms, and she assumed it was Prince Club. Do you know who I am? He was younger than Nora, but not the youngest boy. Adida didn't know how much she knew and mimed placing a crown on her head. Prince Claude, she answered. Claude would have liked to turn around and glare at Adita, but chose not to, opting to glare at Nora instead while tapping his foot. She gasped. Oh, I apologize, your highness, she, she began to bow. I don't just mean bowing, he snorted, but he did like her submissive attitude. What should I do then? She asked, glancing between Claude and Adita. Adita shook her head, making Nora feel slightly embarrassed. You did... And Adita was about to answer. Silence, sister, he spat before turning back to Nora. You're supposed to kiss my shoe. He was only nine, but the crown prince nonetheless, so he demanded the utmost respect from most people. Uh, Nora remembered her mother's rule to respect him and stood there awkwardly, unsure what to do in this age. Claude, that's enough. Adita had to step between the two. Stop trying to embarrass Nora. She was stern with him now. Around the same time, Elanda and Biza were off in a corner, preparing their powers to prank Nora. Only one person noticed what they were up to. One of the musicians happened, happened to be me, Tun. My brothers and sisters and I served the royal family while carefully investigating. Your majesty, I curtsied before the queen, and she excused herself from her conversation with a general and two governors. Your daughters are quite the cunning terrors, aren't they? Her famous re regal glare was now directed at me. And you approach me with attempted flattery? Get to the point. But her eyes flickered over to her daughters, who by now stood closer to Nora. Girls, she approached them sternly. What are your powers to be used for? They were close enough that Nora felt she had to stand at attention too, and she watched in slight confusion as her youngest sisters hung their heads slightly. Training, Breeza spoke stiffly. Or for battle, or for battling the Furzit or the Conites, Ilanda answered next. Their answers still didn't explain to Nora what was going on, and it took some effort not to blurt out her confusion. And what are your powers to be used for? Out of the corner of their eyes, they quickly glanced at each other and then at Nora. Not for playing, Biza quickly replied innocently. 
In addition to their mother prompted petty pranks, Ilanda admitted a hundred different emotions surged through North. Her sisters tried to prank her, just like the twin like her and the twins. They would innocently prank and tease each other. She didn't know that the girls were trying to use camouflage slugs while which would crawl across her back and she would look like an insane person for shrieking. And pulling pranks with mocked power was forbidden, but Nor wondered about regular pranks. Maybe they'd have to settle for a different kind of fun. She wanted to smile at the young girls, but the queen looked so serious now. Even Edita stood more seriously at attention. We may have won great victory in our revolution, she spoke to all five of them. However, not all is settled, and now you are all part of this revolution. Her eyes were trained on Nur now, and the realization of what moving here meant made her stomach twist into many knots. She couldn't maintain eye contact with the queen's intense stare. Ilanda and Biza, you will be disciplined after the celebration. This caused their expression to turn fear fearful before quickly hardening. More dread filled Noor, who was no longer quite so excited to live here. Would they have to fight, fight like magical warriors? Was that what the lessons were mostly about? She figured it had to do with her mocked power, but so, but so far, hers had more to do with vegetation and agriculture than anything. Dealing with the Conite monsters was an idea that terrified Noor just slightly. Your Majesty, Nor bravely spoke up. They did not actually follow through on their prank. Must they be disciplined? She didn't want their fun to be ruined too much. Uncomfortable silence passed for a moment. That is, Nor felt very uncomfortable, and she began to fidget. You will learn, child, the Queen finally spoke. What is expected of you if you wish to retain your status of royalty? Trice, who stood a short distance away, trying but failing to listen to the conversation between a few nobles, caught the tail end of the queen's interactions with her daughters, with her daughters in Nor. Things were worse than even twelve years ago. Her little sister was already beginning to lose herself to this revolution back then, but she was unrecognizable now, and Trice felt rage flare within her. She had to solve, she had to shove her treacherous feelings deep down, or Trice would be punished, even if her emotions were supernaturally discovered. Uh, to help Nora escape far from the palace, she would have to plan ever so carefully. And that's the end of chapter one. My earbud cut out at the uh, for the last like two paragraphs. <laughs> Who's trying to help who escape? Oh, uh, so the mom of Noor is like, I need to find a way to help. Uh, Noor escape to help us both escape but she has to be careful how she plans it because if she's discovered she'll be in trouble the thing I, I wasn't sure if I should like convey it in chapter one yet is um, that for Noor it's like oh my like I get to meet my father but for uh, but for her mom it's like uh, she was basically uh, intimidated like yeah like the thing was an intimidating thing so uh -huh. i think that comes through well i think that the focus is definitely on nora um and i think it's supposed to be from what i can tell so i don't think you need to delve any further i think it's all implied pretty well as far mm -hmm. as uh what m the mom's feeling so <clears throat> i agree I think that you've set you, you haven't explained a giant amount, but you've given a lot of questions. 
a, a lot of really interesting questions setting up the way that the world works and all of that and it, i i'm here for it but i'm a world builder so that that it worked really really well for me all of that all of the groundwork that you were laying out uh the relationships between the different people it worked really well okay i liked it a lot it gave me a uh, book of esther meets the king and i vibe for some reason <laughs> yeah actually i uh i kind of so originally this started off as uh me sort of trying to rewrite Greek mythology, but then I was like, I'm going to scrap that because I don't know hardly anything about Greek mythology. And so more so like I thought about like royal families in the Bible and just how messed up they are, even like David's family. And so, mm -hmm. and then like, yeah, Esther, where she's like a queen, but like, right. that doesn't really mean that much in that time. So, yeah. Have you heard Nate Wilson's rants on the book of Esther? Hmm. <laughs> yeah I, I, you look him up sometime he had some really good ones especially recently on on the book of esther and how we just kind of whitewash over uh she's basically giving herself up as a as a sexual sacrifice to this evil king like to save her people <laughs> we just kind of just gloss over all of that <laughs> <laughs> you know he uh he did it on a stories or soul food uh, uh -huh. episode on he he did his entire talk on that on a stories or soul food episode which was a question and answer with the freshman class of new saint andrews yep <laughs> <laughs> and brian cole was like hey you can't be talking like that and i'm like but it's in the bible <laughs> it's really <laughs> good <laughs> So hey, Aaron. version stories from that date back to that time period, and yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. Esther oh. may have been the chief queen, but she was not the only one. Not in any way, shape, was, or form. <laughs> he had to share the king. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's a really great podcast uh, called The Ten Minute Bible Hour, done by Matt Whitman, pastor out of uh, South Dakota in case anyone is interested. And he does really deep dives into books of the Bible. He's done Matthew, and then he's doing the book of Esther right oh. now. And he's 112 episodes into the book of Esther, I want to say. <laughs> and he's oh. not even halfway through yet. Yep. <laughs> it, he goes deep into it. And one of the things that he really harps on uh, about Esther is that at this point in time, the most valuable commodity in the entire world, the gold of this world was time with the king. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's really good. Yeah. It's really great. I highly recommend everybody go listen to the 10 minute Bible hour podcast. All right. How's it been, Aaron? Um, not much. Did I miss the uh, thing again? Uh, what the broadcast? No, we're st we're still on. We're we were just, I, I I shared something from one of my superhero stories. Uh, 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 Alex shared something. He's do working on a Cinderella rewrite sort of a thing. Did pretty good with that. And uh, Kirith, uh, just shared her interesting, as TK put it, uh, Esther meets the King and I fantasy fairy tale vibe thing. Um, so that you heard some of that. So that was, that was good. Um. TK, are you sharing tonight? Absolutely. Okay. And Brendan, are you? 
Awesome. Yes. Okay. How about you, Aaron? Do you have something that you're sharing uh, uh, to read for uh, comments and critique or no? I can't think of something. I'm working on uh, world building documents right now because mm-hmm. I don't have any animals in my world yet. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, before we go to the next person, want to see another cool thing about yes. the Titanic build? <laughs> he's been showing off his Titanic Lego set uh, this whole time off and on because he's working on it. So th- this is the anchor assembly. Yes. You've got the Lego chains here, yes. and it is all built like that. So you've got the spacing there. And the way that it goes in is by taking this entire assembly built like this and putting it into the top right there and clicking it into place. That is satisfying. (laughs) It's so cool. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, who wants to be next? Uh, TK, do you want it or do you want me to take this one? Sure, I can do it. Okay. Okay. So since Aaron hasn't been here before, I'll give him a brief rundown. This is in my work in progress second novel. First one, Tiny, uh, is Chronicle of the Hidden People, Volume 1, The Book of the White Raven. This is going to be Chronicle of the Hidden People, Volume 2, The Book of Starlight. Now this is set in a vaguely late 90s, early 2000s um, human world with the combined um, fantasy world, which can be reached through various um, portals, kind of like Narnia. It's completely random. Well, it's it's not completely random, but they're not in places where you would think to look. In this section of the novel, we finally get to meet the actual big bads. Um, the actual big bads are Baba Yaga and Kashe the Deathless. Now, the human protagonist Sarah has been captured by Kashe and Baba Yaga, and Horus, who is half ogre, his parents are married. I'm just making that clear. And his, um, basically what amounts to an adopted sister, um, Nola of the Wild Hunt, have gone in to rescue her. They have just defeated a living loom, which takes the form of a spider, which is, to what everyone's hilarity, was called a Decepticon in the text. <laughs> and now they are... In the previous scene, Finola is trying to get splinters of the said loom out of Boris's back. Now, here we go. Perhaps you should have listened, child, said a voice from the door. Finola left off when she was doing and loaded a stone in her sling, while Boris got to his feet and drew his axe. He gestured Nola behind him with his weapon and carried Serafina in his other arm. Ashe whispered Sarah. Wraiths found me and told me there was an intruder. I take it from the splinters in your back, you've destroyed Pavek. Did anyone ever tell you you talk too much, old man? Howled Boris. He pointed at Sarah. Don't cotton to thieves. We're not stealing. We're liberating. 
Doris smugly. You both talk too much. There's Nola whirling her sling. Don't know my name. You have no power over me. Starts Sarah. If I have anything to say about it, none of your kind will ever have power over me again. I'm not the one you should be worried about, my dear, laughed Kashe. Baba will be here any second. Let's see if you can defeat the wild witch hedge-born half-blood. Horus, faster than anyone would have guessed, rushed Kashe, taking his head off at a blow with his axe. There was no blood, only dust, and the body remained upright. My parents are married! Grimaced at the body. That was the most disgusting thing I have ever done. The body calmly walked over to where the head lay, picked it up, and stuck it back on his neck. What the? shouted Boris. Sarah gagged. Deathless, Boris, he can't be killed! As I was saying, began Kashe, after cracking his neck and jaw, surrender the girl. Picture, if you will, Christopher Lloyd in Anastasia as Kashe the Deathless. Hutch shook like something hit it. That's Baba now, I believe, gloated Kashe. Door burst open, forced open by a collection of vines. I'll click get rid of that other open. What? Rosie! cheered Boris. Kashe stamped on the floor. Rise! Rise, you useless hut! It jerked upright, but only made it to half its usual height and stuck, struggling. A series of thumps sounded from without, arrows hitting the wood. A whirled her sling, the stone zinging into Kashe's face. He screamed. You'll get better, scoffed Nola. Ran to the door and looked down. Hail, hail, the gang's all here. Mom, Dad. House jerked again, throwing everyone inside to the ground. The timbers creaked and cracked as it leaned forward, sending everyone shooting towards the door. Wow, look out below, shouted Boris. Hit Kasha and knocked him out the door. He was able to grab the door frame. Ola crouched nearby on a rose vine on the left side of the door. Down below, he could see Rose Alba, who was a dryad friend of theirs, holding the vines in place. His parents, Cullen, Kaylin in his wolf form, Prince Lou, and a skinny strawberry blonde fellow with a fencing foil, who were holding Lord Fingal back. Auberon and Queen Persephone, Nola's parents, stood armed next to his own parents. Surrounding the hut on all sides was the wild hunt. Kashe hanged from his hands off the front of the house. Heads, grab a vine! cried Katrina. What if I could, Mom? Or shouted back. The house righted itself, but shivered and shook. The place is coming down. Nola, get to the ground. I'll take care of Sarah. Horace got to his feet and made his slow way to the vines on the right side of the door. Okay, Sarah, we'll get you down. Not scared. Watch Nola be lifted to the ground by Rosalba. One of his charges was safe. Now he, all he had to do was get Sarah down. Felt someone grab his ankle. Kashe's face leering up at them. You won't stop us. We found the demon in the waters. I have had about enough of you. Boris kicked the wizard in the face, sending him flying, and with a bound, he grabbed a vine. What a rip, Rosie! The dryad brought them down to earth. Fingal ran toward them, holding his arms open to take Sarah. Boris released the girl. The elf lord swept her up into his arms, kissing her temple and hair. Heads up! Shouted Nola. Kashe! Another stone sang from her sling, flying into the wizard's open, roaring mouth. He choked and spit it out, stalking towards them. 
Rosalba gave a low growl and squeezed harder on the house with her vines. She let out a scream of fury and exertion. The house crumbled under the pressure, dropping on the wizard. Rose! Edworth and Oberon caught the dryad before she collapsed. All right, my friends, she said. You took a bit out of me. That's allowed, said Eredwolf, setting her back on her feet. You all right, Boris? questioned his mother. Other than a back full of splinters, I'm fine. Back full of splinters? You know that scene in Fantasia with the brooms? I'll stop there. That's a, That's the chapter break. That's a great chapter break. <laughs> so much great dialogue. I love this, it. This might be end, end up being one of those that's better heard as well. If you ever want to do audiobook <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, barter uh, with voices and stuff like that, just let me know. So I will. <clears throat> I am. I am infuriated at how good your your pop culture references are <laughs> very classy also it's so good that you included the fact that the modern world exists because that uh -huh. way you can say all kinds of modern phrases and have them make sense and not sound odd, even though we're very obviously in a fantasy setting. So, letter rip is not something you would hear <laughs> in a fantasy. No. But because it's <laughs> in a parallel universe with the modern world, and because they interact so much, you can do that! <laughs> <laughs> um, don't take this the wrong way, because I don't mean it in a bad way. It reminds me very much of Deadpool, where he's constantly breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> Except for it's not technically breaking the fourth wall. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's working inside of the realm of the fiction, and it works so well. <laughs> no, I'll take that. I'll take that. It's like, hello, we have a fourth wall. And <laughs> <laughs> you are not behind the fourth wall. You're behind the fifth wall. There just happens to be a fourth wall in between the fifth wall. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, that's it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, so much fun. So much fun. That's brilliant. It's so good. It's so good. All right. Let me see here. Let me see. So. I have something to share by the time the next person's done. Awesome. That'll that'll be good because Brendan is uh, next, and um, Sarah wants to try, um, but we shall see if she's going to be able to make it or not. So, um, <clears throat> Brendan, is this your project you've done a few times now, or you've got something different you're working on? Hang on. Sure, take your time. You're good. Uh, all right. Because battery is unfortunately low. Okay, so um, this is not a story. Well, uh, no, that's not true. It is a story, but it is not a written story. Um, I am, for context, I am going to be trying to pitch to you all a animated series Ooh. question mark? 
Okay. It's 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 an animated series, but we're but each episode, but um, I'm thinking each episode would be like an hour long theoretically. Okay. So thinking more along like Netflix arcane length, where each episode is really long, and mm. there's like maybe eight to twelve episodes max, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, not like a TV series animated Sunday morning cartoon is the mm. point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, I am building this out. I actually shared this link in the, the brood talking thing. So, um, I can here. Let me let me share the link again, uh, real quick in Discord. If you want to follow along and read along, you may. Um, we're gonna put this in works in progress. I think. Yeah, works in progress. Okay. Um. It's called Feywild Story. I will so, do. I will continue along with picture in picture of the video so that people who are watching on YouTube later can check it out too, or at enough. least try to. Ah, okay. okay. New window. Any, anyway, I'll figure it out. Keep going. They'll be fine. So it's called the Feywild Story because, um, I originally was telling the story of these people walking through the Feywild. I got kind of inspired by, um, partly by a Monarch's Factory video. If you know Monarch's Factory, she does a lot of D&D, but she also does mythology and other things. Anyway, the whole point about the Feywild is that there are different, like, realms and regions in the Feywild. I don't really explain this fully here because I wanted to kind of... I wanted it to be like a point later on, but like a, a reveal, oh, surprise sort of deal. But one of the things about the Feywild is that while each individual region is spatially con- maintains spatial continuity, the regions do not maintain spatial continuity with each other. So what that means is that like you've got um, the places that I have listed out are um, uh, the Summer Forest, the Endless Canopy, the fields beyond the sky, the sea of stars, the winter court or winter briar, as it's called, um, fire marsh slash desert, the chasm of chaos, and um, the celestial mountain. Right. So these are all like seven things. One day, the summer forest might share a border with the winter briar. The next day, it shares a border with the endless canopy. Right. And it's also each location doesn't. <clears throat> spatial continuity with each other they shuffle around in thing but within the summer forest if you've been to the summer forest mm. once and you know where everything is if you leave and come back it stays the same right that's what i mean okay. by spatial continuity. so gotcha. kind of like neverland yeah kind of so um i don't have a good title for this yet i'm still working on that um but slugline the basic sort of elevator pitch is A young woman's village suffers from a blight on the land. When a warrior falls from the sky, she finds a chance to bring a cure to the land in exchange for returning him to where he came. Um, I also added an element that I called the core. I want the core of the story to be beauty. Not like a snow white beauty, oh, fairest of them all. But I want, like, like, there is a certain amount of beauty being imported within, like, the story, like, within elements, within a particular, like, character. But I also just really want the story to be pretty. Like Studio Ghibli, Violet Evergarden, like these like gorgeous images that make your eyeballs melt and you cry. Um, you know, so that's 
sort of the deal. Um, as far as characters are concerned, there's uh, two main characters that we follow throughout the entire thing. There are other returning characters, but when I was originally making this, I wanted it to be like a comic book or a comic, like manga kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, graphic novel, that's the word. Oh, graphic novel. I originally limited it to two characters to make my life easier. Um, but we'll see how this works. The first character, her name is Ava. She is a female mortal between 18 and 28, old enough to be self-sufficient, but young enough to be active and still maintain some semblance of innocence. Um, her strength is her compassion and the fact that she does have a bit of an adventurous side. But as far as the weakness is concerned, she's afraid of conflict between people and she has a tendency to take people at their word. Um, her goal is to save her village from this thing called a blight, which is like corrupting land. Um, she wants to keep everyone content, but she needs to develop confidence to act and do what's right, even when others don't seem to agree. Um, and for inspiration, I'm thinking like Mrs. Brisby's nurturing and non-combative nature and a character named Octavia from a game called Pathfinder Kingmaker. And her Octavia is very cheerful demeanor and generally positive and is a great encourager. Um, Ava's backstory. Ava was born to one of the men of the village. And while she was supposed to be a twin, her brother died before he could come fully to term. Her mother ended up passing away when she was a teenager, but not before giving them another son. Her father is now one of the village elders. However, Ava chose to apprentice as the village herbalist. She learned the old ways of understanding crops, plants, and their health, and takes time to collect medicinal herbs and flowers for decoration. She also has been working to understand the blight that has been affecting the village crops, and has discovered some properties of the blight, but still hasn't figured out all of it. When she finds Arm, the other character, in the forest, badly injured, she brings him back to her home in order to help him. She begins a chain of events that will lead her to grow in ways she never expected. Um, I said that sentence wrong, but whatever. Arm, <laughs> um, male, he, uh, when you meet him, he seems mortal, but in reality, he's actually an angel. Um, strength, he's courageous, physically skilled, and very skilled at combat. His weakness is that he's proud. He doesn't really care about those around him. And if he can't fight, he doesn't try to help. He also doesn't see beauty really anymore, which is kind of important for his character. Um, why he wants to return to heaven and continue the war to, to continue fighting in the war. He needs to learn, learn humility and to, and he needs to learn that he has to not just condemn and fight evil but also to build good um and into a certain and in order to do that he needs to be able to see beauty and have compassion and stuff like that um as far as inspiration goes i'm thinking um violet from violet evergarden where she's a, where he's a soldier learning to be human and cloud strife because cloud strife from final fantasy 7 was one of my favorite characters fight me um <laughs> woohoo yeah um his sort of blurb, an angel who was in the war in heaven, after losing a battle with a greater demon or devil or whatever you want to call it, he crashes down to earth, being forced into a mortal body. He views himself entirely as a weapon of heaven and has lost sight of what he fights for beyond what he sees as the thrill of combat. Now a mortal, he is forced to confront the realms that he is vicariously protecting and he begins to recognize the beauty of these different realms that he protects, as well as the value of the people he protects. 
So there are a couple of humorous things, but I really don't want this guy to be like Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy where he's just like dumb. I don't want him to be stupid. I just want his like, like his, his, um, his, uh, priorities are so skewed that he doesn't recognize what's going on. When you were showing this to me, I said Thor is a better analog. Thor, Thor might be a better, yeah, Thor is kind of a better analog in this case. Um, so yeah, that works. Um, from here, um, if you're following the document, I've got an outline of um, each chapter. It wasn't really a chapter. Like I had a couple of books planned out where, um, because back when this was kind of going to be a comic, I was following sort of the manga, graphic novel, serialized graphic novel style where, you know, each book is like a couple chapters and things like that. So I was kind of trying to plan this around that, but for an animated series, I would have to make adjustments. So this is what I've got for now. Um, each region has its own little mini story. So we start on Terra Parvis, which don't look up what it means. It basically means real world. <laughs> um, <laughs> translated to Latin. Woo. Um, <laughs> um, uh, the intro that I had planned was alternating between Aram as an angel fighting in heaven with this demon and um, Ava picking flowers in the forest, alternating between them at night. Um, there's then Aram loses during the intro and he like crashes to the ground and you see like a comet falling and Ava sees the comet falling and she sort of heads over in that general area and she finds him in a crater she brings him back to the village to help nurse him back to health. Meanwhile, um, the village is dealing with this blight. It looks, I have an idea of it, it looks like wilting and rotten crops that are growing. So they're, they're growing rotten, which is not supposed to happen. Um, meanwhile, someone uh, comes to a village with their village with a solution. Clearly the, clo- the crops are dying because the land is used up. And so you need to use this newfangled technology. That this guy is selling. How convenient. And and, and say bah to the land. You don't need to use your old ways. We've got this new and improved thing. I'm not bitter. Um, anyway, uh, Ava tells them what she's discovered. There's a conversation, blah, blah, blah. He returns home to take care of an unconscious Aram. You get flashbacks. At this point, this is where you have flashbacks of her finding her in the crater. He then wakes up, Aram then wakes up, says he has to go back, but he's not physically strong enough. I also want to include a joke here where um, he forgets that he has to move his legs in order to walk, and so he falls. Because he's not used to having a physical body, so he doesn't really, get, you know, do that. Um, then a hellhound shows up. It's one of these demonic force things. Um, Aram fights the hellhound. He saves Ava in the process and he wins despite being horribly wounded, but he clearly is enjoying the combat. He's like, I feel alive. Ha ha. Then he revealed that the hellhound blood actually is causing the blight. And so Ava is able to piece together that since Aram knew what this thing was and this thing is causing the blight, theoretically, he might know something about it and pesters him about a cure. He agrees to take Ava to find a cure for the land if she helps him get there. And then they begin their journey, which involves going through the Feywild through different places. Um, I don't want to use up everyone's time here, but the short version is like, like the first they go to the summer forest. They kind of you get your stereotypical fairies trying to do deals and bargains and stuff and mm-hmm. tricking um, 
they steal something of Aram's. He chases after them while they try to convince Ava, oh, you can stay here forever. And she's like, no, I can't do that. Eventually, you know, there's conflict and stuff. But um, um, sort of this chapter as sort of the summer forest is sort of more establishing of who Ava and Aram are um, as they journey together. Um, whereas Aram is the punch first, ask questions later. Ava is the, I enjoy what's going on. I kind of want to see what's going on. I, I like this. I like to see the new world, but also I need to try to find a way of calming everyone down and, and solving things nonviolently. Uh, then they go to a thing called the endless canopy where, um, again, it has all kinds of interesting rules. You can go up forever, but eventually, like if in the endless canopy, it's like giant trees, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen the dragon prince. There's this one part where they're walking on branches and things like that, that are huge. It's like that, but it's twisting and turning and stuff. And, um, uh, if you go up, if you try to ascend in the endless canopy, you will never reach the sky. You will just infinitely loop. But if you go down, you will eventually find the bottom. <laughs> Fun! It's the Feywild! Nothing makes sense. Um, uh, in this part, um, Ava and Aram kind of clash because they find a... a uh, fox dragon thing that's dying it points them to its nest and when they find the nest they find a baby fox dragon thing and ava's like we have to protect it and aram's like it's extra it's another mouth to feed we got to keep going we can't waste our time with this and then predators show up and they have to run away and they, they escape on the back of a flying whale and all kinds of stuff um yeah just casually throwing that out there you can chew on that um <laughs> um and they basically argue about whether or not that life is worth it um then you've got like the fields beyond the sky and the sea of stars, or I'm calling it the sea of stars. And then they kind of, that's when they actually start talking because they're in a boat on the sea of stars and they actually have to like talk in order to move on. Um, at this point, um, like they're about to reach the mountain, but then that whole, they maintain spatial continuity, but not with each other comes into play. And suddenly the mountain moves away from them and the winter court is where they go next. Um, and there's all kinds of stuff happening. Um, eventually, like there's a couple of moments where um, like at one point, Aram gets captured saving Ava and she runs back to the people who were like threatening them going, please help us. And because she does that, they're like, huh, okay. And because of someone else, um, they agree and they save Aram from that. But then the Chasm of Chaos, which is basically like literally hell, as in there's a dragon that has seven heads and ten horns living in the Chasm of Chaos. Oh. You know? So, yeah. Um, and then they reach the mountain and then they get up there and like stuff happens and um, Aram has learned, like, during the Chasm of Chaos, Ava breaks down because she's scared. She finally breaks, and Aram, at this point, you see the growth of his character, and he um, he is able to shelter, not shelter, but he's able to encourage her and tell her, no, you are really good. You are, you are, you've done so much. You're really brave. You've done a lot. You know, he, he he's able to basically tell her that she's done so much for him and help him grow. And that helps them as they sneak out of the chasm. 
and then up the mountain to basically save the uh, to to bring Aram back to where he's supposed to be. But when, now that he's back, he's changed, and I don't quite know where we are here. I still need to figure this part out fully. But uh, basically, they're able to, um, since they're now at heaven, heaven is able to reward Ava with a seed to plant to combat the blight. And she is able to go back and plant the seed. It doesn't cure the land immediately, but over time, they are able to... Um, they're able to do this. Uh, they're, they're able to uh, cure the land of the blight with this seed from the tree that planted the seed that uh, they planted the seed with. And, um, and not only that, but uh, uh, she's able to like, go like, no, we can't just turn our back. We have to have trust and faith in like what, uh, like basically in God, right? It's not explicitly said. I haven't figured out again. I haven't quite figured that part out, but anyway, that's way longer than a pitch normally is. Most pitches stop after the slug line in the core, but I wanted to expound on this. And then there's all kinds of other random things that I have. Like for example, Aram's armor like has a helmet that has two wings and his greaves have wings on them. And in his angel form, he has wings. So like if you are paying attention, you can figure out, oh, with two, they cover their head. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. You know, or like that kind of a reference. The seven head, ten horns. Um, yeah. Um, and there's a character that um, comes up, and if you read the actual outline for yourselves, you a character named the Traveler. He's a, a robed figure with a hood. Um, I sort of picture him as blonde haired, smiling. He's kind of cheerful and stuff. But at one, like he he shows up in the summer forest, the endless canopy, and then the sea of stars. But then he says, "I'm not gonna. You're not gonna see me again because I'm going a different way than you at this point." Um, he doesn't show up again except twice. Once at the end of the fire arc, where um, because Ava uh, has to go back to the queen to ask the winter queen to ask for help, and the winter queen made it very obvious that she wanted Ava for her pet. Um, and the queen suddenly, and for seemingly no reason, agrees to help her. There's a flashback of the queen sitting, uh, or, or you go back to the queen sitting on her throne, and she's sitting here, like, thinking, and you get the flashback of from her perspective of asking, and the travelers behind her, like, hovering over her, but rather than seeing his face, it's just black behind with a single, like, eye, like the anime, like, angry eye, and he's got his gauntleted arm covering and is going, you do not get to touch her. And you end up finding out that the Traveler is actually basically the equivalent of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. Lots of stuff there. Apologies. No, not at all. No apologies necessary. I've helped you out a little bit with this so far. You asked for my help specifically on a few things. Um, and we I, made... I, Yeah. Go, Go ahead. But I was just going to say, I guess the question that I would have for people who haven't heard this before is, um, I mean, I don't want to say something as vague as, do you find this interesting? But what parts, um, what parts specifically would, uh, uh, um, <laughs> what parts specifically do you think would be either difficult or that you like and you want to work on or, or, or not work on, but, or that you like, or you're excited for, um, 
I guess um, part of the thing I'm wondering is, do you think the two characters as the main characters, do you think that dynamic can work? Um, because... Oh, it absolutely can. I, th- I think in yeah. many ways it already does. I think you've got mm-hmm. your your basic uh, uh, core of the characters is one who is very grounded and very mortal and one who is not, even though he's mm-hmm. been brought down to be mortal. You have up in the sky, up in the clouds, idealist, and then you have someone who's very practical. You know, you already have a very good juxtaposition of the two characters. And so I think you getting in touch with them is going to be key. You need to have dialogue role play sessions with them, uh, not just writing them back and forth, but you talking to them um, and, and uh, writing out their responses accordingly to get to understand who they are. But um, I think you've already got a great juxtaposition of the two characters. So It's funny. That I also you find it... oh, No, go on, Alex. I also find it interesting that the grounded one seems to be the happy one. And the idealist is the kind of morose one. I, I could be misreading that, but it seems like they're... It, that's usually switched. The grounded one is the one who's, you know, everything is bad, we have to do this thing. And the idealist is the one who's oh everything is great and fine and you've switched those two and i like that i find it interesting because to me when i was sitting here i was thinking of erm as like almost the grounded one like his goal is idealistic in the sense that he's trying to return to heaven and fight but he is very much uh he's i i when i originally was starting this i was thinking of him as like can I solve this with sword? If yes, do so. If no, I, if no don't bother getting involved kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. Ava is the one who's like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh, this is important. Oh, look at that. Oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> but, really, but that's not really what they are overall. The, 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 with, no. with, with him, um, yes, he has, uh, he's idealistic, but his, his goal is virtually impossible at this point, as far as he knows, right? He wants to get back to heaven. How? Why? Well, I don't know. Hack and slash, right? While he is less um, distractible, that's, the, that's really what you were keying in on is their distraction levels, right? Um, she has a high distraction level. He has a low distraction level overall. But... But everything else about their character, he's Mr. Pie in the Sky, and she's the one who's Samwise Gamgee down in the mud. Yeah, that's so interesting that I didn't catch that. Man. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll say, too, I think that... Um, I think the core of those two characters is the thing that's going to sell all of this. We have to feel like uh, they have a... And we talked about characters that I thought this would fit with. Um, Moana and Maui and Rapunzel and Flynn Rider, I think, are two excellent examples of this i think the maui example is really obvious and simple like maui even though he's like you know mr charismatic and and uh, this guy's more like i am a machine i shall fight you know even though he's not to that level like 
it's still the same thing. A demigod, an yeah. angel, you know, meets a, a human who has bright ideas and whatever else. But the thing is, Moana has always been the grounded character in that story. Maui's the one mm. with his head in the clouds, mm. right? As, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's super worth pursuing. I think as far as getting your your uh, slug line type stuff down, your, your really simple pitch stuff, it's a buddy movie, a buddy movie fantasy between an angel and a female gardener. That's really what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that is it yeah. with with lots of allusions to biblical supernatural imagery. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was this was you know my soapbox on spirits. This was my soapbox story. Yes, <laughs> wide variety of different spiritual entities that you run into. Right. <laughs> pull from every folklore. Well, not every. Pull from many folklores. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So. All right. Does anyone have any other thoughts for Brendan before we move on to Aaron and I check with Sarah? Soapbox Productions oh, would be a fantastic name. Possibly. Just a moment. Uh, what were you saying, Alex? For your production company, Soapbox yes. Productions. Yes. Soapbox Productions. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'll throw money towards Soapbox Productions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy um anything else anybody i just i just want to point out how uh how uh not i guess uneducated is the best word but how like how much i didn't realize i didn't realize buddy story like i only, only ever heard of buddy cop mm-hmm. i didn't realize there was just buddy as a thing <laughs> Yeah, buddy uh, stories are totally a thing, um, especially buddy buddy road trip stories. You know, you think of um, I think yeah. I think one of my favorites. You know, I I mentioned it recently. Uh, Family matters, in general. Um, the 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 the, the uh, you guys probably know. Did I do that, Urkel? Whatever else, but like the thing that really makes that show, in my opinion, is the juxtaposition of Carl and Steve. Carl, the dad, who's got this crazy nerdy kid who's sweet on his daughter who's a neighbor who annoys the heck out of him and he can't get him to leave them alone and the 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 hijinks that they get into and the fact that steve like is really actually a sweet and kind and sincere person underneath all his weirdness and like saves literally saves carl's life at various points so it's not like he could just kick him out of his house you know what i mean like it really is just an amazing dynamic and that's that's uh one of the earliest examples of a buddy story that i kind of uh came across as a kid because we watched that a lot growing up um but yeah i look into buddy stories man because that's your dynamic is buddy stories you know well yeah that's very obviously one yeah um before we move to another thing i have another lego piece let me see that's the crow's nest nice it is just a technic pin with a stud on the end of it can can you show it one more time yeah so it's just a technic pin with a stud on the bottom of it that just runs into the mast like that it's great that's nice i like that 
<laughs> All right, Aaron, are well, you everybody. are you are you ready for something? Are you leaving, TK? I have to go. All right. Well, it was great yeah. having you. Yeah. We'll see y'all soon. Hi to your family. I will. Thank mm -hmm. you all for the encouragement. Absolutely. You have a good one. Yeah. So, yeah. Basically, I said earlier that I was writing on a world building document because I don't have any animals in my world yet. Right? Right. Well, mm -hmm. I decided instead of doing that, why not write a short story that allows me to introduce the animals and other parts of the uh, natural world and so i'm writing a story that is meant to show the seasons and the animals but the problem is um i have one scene finished uh, i started on the second scene uh which is when the seasons change but i'm not done with that but i guess i can share the first scene or what i have sure how about what i have sounds great all right Go, go, go. The woods were green this year. Fifteen years of high summer gave the children of the forest a sense of security. The past calamities were out of mind for those who lived through it. But for those who were born after, they have only heard stories of what is to come. Dina and Ephraim played in, their, in the forest. Their older sister, Ava, watched them. She never understood why they liked the underbrush. They were fist-sized spiders, leg-length centipedes, and head-sized dragonflies in there. Nothing you would want to live with. Most bugs weren't dangerous. Um, if they were, men couldn't live here. They were not very scared of humans, and why would they be? They were the things to be feared. Eva remembered the stories she was told by the grandfathers of snakes without armor, ants nigh invisible, and many other myths of another world. But somehow her siblings were able to manage to stay sane in the world of these disgusting things. She watched carefully. The fist-sized bugs were not too common. You might not see them every day, but they were common enough to be concerned. When the children saw a spider, they would ask her to kill it. They were too scary for children, but at least they were all alone. You never touched the ants. You never fought or killed them. Even though they were the size of a finger, together they could destroy a village. Though men were crowned by God, it was the ants who ruled the forest. The many-legged centipedes were safe. In fact, they were almost a kind of cattle. Disgusting as they were, they had meat inside those shells. Safe to eat, but which obviously needs to be cooked. She did not need to watch for those. But the most dangerous things of all were the ticks. Not because they were hard to kill, but because of all the bugs of the forest. They alone hunted men. Men and fae, they also hunted fae. But those many-legged ticks also hunted men. They spread across a third of a man's chest. They were impossible to ignore. They would find the warmest source of blood they could. And the warmest source of blood was the heart. If they found you while you were sleeping, the encounter was final. Eva wondered where they came from, the ticks who took men's lives. Her parents told her that they were not in the forest in their childhood, but they had been a constant danger all her life. Carefully, she must watch. She must kill whatever tick is found. 
even if the tick does not taste the heart, even if it attaches itself to the leg. Such an attack could be fatal. Five. In two hours, she killed five. She couldn't imagine why there were so many. They did not attack other insects. Their bodies were designed to pierce the flesh. She looked in the sky. The beasts of flesh were on another world. She shook her head. It seemed to her that only the city of Shothora, far away, could support such a large population of these heart-eating beasts in the world of the gardens. These worried her more and more as she grew up. Ticks were new. This is something she was told. Yet the only being who might have made them should be dead. She shook her head and became attentive again to watching her siblings, Dina and Ephraim. The spider, two more ticks she killed. But then she saw another thing which worried her more than all though than those all-consuming stones. A falling leaf. I swore it fell naturally. We did not shake the tree, Eva cried. A single leaf is not something to worry about. Maybe it was sick, and if it is a sign, we have plenty of time, the village elder insisted. It needs to be a common occurrence before we go into the mountains. Where does the fire start? Where does the fire start? She cried. You are a very anxious child. Don't worry. It's only reasonable that you are, since you became conscious during a calamity. But I have dealt with three of these things. There is no need to worry. I hear there's a desert in the east that if that Athenoam saw, and dry wood on the fringes. What if it starts there? She insisted. If it started before half the leaves fell, I would have seen it before, the elder said. Do not worry about a single leaf. These things will become more common before it is time to leave. And it did. Once they confirmed that the leaves had begun to fall, the people of the forest sent word to the dwarves that they would need to prepare a place for them in their halls. They hoped to prepare all things in half a year, move in at the second half, and then forage from the march until the time the fire came. They heard a tribe by the isle had tried to swim in the middle of the lake during the fire, but they were choked out and found dead years later. Only the high peaks of the dwarves could be a safe shelter in the coming crisis. And that's all I have so far. That was that was nice. Um, still got your sort of Silmarillion flavor sort of thing that you do, and I enjoy that. Um, the I love the idea of just doing a story to, to to introduce them and kind of see where your mind goes, and then you can tweak it as you go. Um, but yeah, the the it's very interesting. Um, the animals you chose to kind of start with and how things change. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts? I'm always a fan of uh, I'm always a fan of uh, doing world building through story or even like story vignettes and stuff like that. That's how I've done probably uh, sixty to eighty percent of my world building. So I I like it. You've got a you've got a solid uh, style that you've built for it. Like Joshua said, very. Um, not not quite historical, but very similar to the Silmarillion. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking of a generic scene in a particular era that could capture all these things. 
So it's supposed to be a scene that's representative of a larger set of occurrences. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. that's it. Good stuff. Brendan, Kirith, do you guys have anything for Aaron? I mean, everything that everyone said, I, or I, 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 I echo and amplify. Um, yeah, I think, I think generally like little, as, 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 uh, Alex called it short vignettes are a great way of doing storytelling. So just, yeah, I, I also, um, just a, a note. Like you're, you know, you're trying to figure out the fauna. Don't feel absolute need to. I mean, I know we're all. There are a couple of world builders here who all love world building, and so yeah, if you want to, if you want to go to town and figure out all the fauna, go ahead. But um, don't be afraid to take from real life. You know, it's like, hey, what lives in the deciduous forest, or what lives in a in a in a temperate forest or what lives in this particular type of region and then look at that and go i like that i like that i like that don't like that like that huh that's interesting i didn't know about that what if i gave it more teeth you know (laughs) i i can tell like you were like we're gonna make the bugs big we're gonna make everything big you know or if you really want to, you can do the avatar the last airbender route and just combine two animals (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's just says bear this place is weird <laughs> no but uh, um the, the have you ever read uh go i was just saying quickly the tick thing was really really caught my attention as like kind of a cool creepy thing you know? ew <laughs> yeah i don't like ticks <clears throat> And do I? Yeah. That's why they're the villains and not spiders. <laughs> I don't like spiders. Hey, you're going to say something, Alex. I don't um, yeah, have you ever read a Wingshunner Saga by Andrew Peterson? No, but my nephew recommended it to me. It's really, really good, and one of the really cool things that he has in it is Pembroke's Creaturepedia, and... It looks like Joshua is going to grab. Yep, yep. Pembroke Creaturepedia, and throughout the book, throughout the actual Wingshunter Saga book, it references back and explains the toothy cow and the uh, what is that? Is that a well, the dragon bowl or something? Oh, what are they? Wait, that's a thwap, and yeah. it will have a. Now you may not be familiar with the garden variety thwap, but. And then it goes into that. And then he actually did a Preacherpedia of all of it that Joshua just showed you. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that's a, uh, that is a really good example of tremendously creative uh, animal building. So if did, you're looking for inspiration, go, go read Peterson. Did you uh, have a specific yeah. animal you wanted me to show? Toothy cow. Toothy cow. was the one that I was immediately thinking of because it's just the one that sticks out most it's to me. It's the iconic one. Give me one second. Let me see if I can... I love I love the mushroom people. I do so much with my intelligent creatures. I just don't got any dumb ones. Yeah. 
Let's see. See, I, I was I was extremely uh, frugal in my world building. I basically just said there are a couple of mythical creatures. Yep, there's a tooth cow. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it says. It's a cow with a giant set of teeth. There are fangs in real life. The thing that I really love, um, the thing that I really love about this is the he adds these little annotations, and I think I'm reversed on camera. Is that the case, or can you guys read those? No, no, we can read it. Yeah, I can't read, see the read, teeth. Read some of those if it'll focus. The uh, the little um, things connected to them. Can you actually, can you go get me Christopedia? I'll I'll read it. One second. The the uh, my brother uh, my brother has one so. Uh, so so get it and read. some of the things that are that that he has pointing at you know the little text pointing to the little individual pieces it says long tail serves as a whip uh serves to whip flies away as well as distract prey before pouncing eyes malicious gleam therein toothiness hideous hooves cloven utter violent feeding given the toothiness of the calves and like the whole thing is just full of like his this 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 character it's written in character of an explorer within world named oliver pembroke and um like he has a bunch of really wacky weird stories about how he encountered this creature in the jungles of such and such and it's just it's really fun so so I was playing Guild Wars 2 mm-hmm. like a while ago and they released a new expansion and I went to the new zone and I saw fanged deer and I'm like oh look another fantasy creature I looked it up fanged deer actually exists <laughs> nice <laughs> I'm like, excuse you <laughs> yeah excuse me sir this is a Wendy's Oh, they, they yeah. really do have fangs. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah! Fang deer, look them up. They, they aren't small. The fangs are like this long. Yeah! Okay, I'm making this up. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I really wanted to get to was the seasons, which, I mean, you did not get to get to that much, but you heard the 15 years of high summer thing, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That sounds... And... That sounds like awful. Why would you live there? Go somewhere that doesn't have 15 years of summer. Um, so, I mean, high summer is just, it's the season that is, that's the name for the normal season. Because spring is bloom, fall is when the leaves fall, and summer, well, that's everything else in between. Um, but what's really important is how you go from summer to summer. So basically, when the leaves start falling, as you would have seen, that is a sign that something's going to happen. Specifically, massive worldwide wildfires. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, okay, then. And uh, so this is a bit into the world building. There are technically no seasons on this world because this world isn't tilted away from in any way that would make seasons. So it's produced by other means rather than the relationship to the sun. And it's produced specifically by the atmosphere. This world has a whole lot of trees and not a lot of large animals to counterbalance that. 
So what happens is that the uh, trees produce a lot of oxygen, get rid of carbon dioxide. Whenever the trees run out of carbon dioxide, they start getting sick and start dying. And they also have a lot of oxygen that is good for starting fires. And these things put together on a global scale causes global wildfires to happen on a semi-regular basis. Makes sense. And then these wild, yeah. And then these wildfires are putting out tons of ash into the air, obviously, which creates winter. So fall is a massive fire that moves directly into bitter winter which lasts for a time until temperatures are able to recover due to the ash falling out of the sky and spring comes, which, you know, brings everything back into balance. Makes sense. I like that. Very cool. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap the recorded set part of the broadcast uh, here. Um, Sarah said that she's just too busy. She's not even going to get do- done what she wanted to get done. She's going to have to go in tomorrow. So pray for her. Hey, what's up? And uh, so, yeah, we'll go ahead and say, be your family's bar. Do not turn to the right or to the left, and the Lord will be with you wherever you go. We'll see you next time in the trenches on Poets at War. This is the broadcast on Poets at War, Inkling-style Discord chat, last Friday of every month. To join... Go to joshuadavidling.com and click the Discord link in the right-hand sidebar.